0: Welcome to Back From the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. One of the greatest gifts and challenges of my work is that I'm allowed into my patients' lives to hear what is really happening behind their carefully constructed outer personas. I hear their fears, dreams, regrets, their deepest wounds, their unrelenting shame. And I've learned that everyone, everyone is struggling with something And that's actually such a comfort to me. I so often hear my patients comparing themselves to their clearly much happier and more well-adjusted friends and family and social media contacts and coworkers. And I find myself reminding them that everyone has a story, a struggle, something hidden that is consciously or unconsciously bringing them pain. A few years ago, I was at my 25th college reunion, and I decided to conduct a little experiment of a psychiatrist experiment my hypothesis was that everyone there would have experienced at least one probably more significant life trauma since graduating so i slowly worked my way around the room opening my conversation with so i have this theory i bet all of us here have been through or is going through something really really awful since graduation And then I went on to tell my story of spiraling into despair and addiction after a number of patient suicides. And my story turned out to be some kind of magic key that opened up the lock of each of my classmates' psyches. I heard of terrible losses and bitter divorces, unrelenting loneliness, and children with profound disabilities, deaths of siblings and best friends, and battles with cancer and autoimmune disease. And as I listened to each story, I found myself so moved by my classmates' resilience, by their bravery and wisdom and compassion. Every single person I talked to had either walked the fiery coals of despair or was actually in it at that time. One of the last people I talked to after telling her story, she pointed to the front of the room where my former classmate and dear friend Maro was at the microphone, smiling broadly and entertaining all of us with her unrelenting positivity and funny stories. And this woman said, she pointed at Maro and she said, I think all of us have been through something. I I think you're right. Except Maro. I mean, look at her. She's amazing. She's just like she was in college. She's so happy and funny and full of life and awesome. Yet I knew that this was not, in fact, the case. For Maro and her husband, Brian another longtime friend of mine and former classmate, had already been through three major trials and made it through the other side. Today's episode is the story of a father and a husband, of learning to not walk around the pain, but to face it directly. It's Brian's story of his life getting better and better until it wasn't.
1: My kind of backstory is that I... I was the oldest of, I have three younger sisters, and I grew up where, in a setting that everything was very good and getting better, you know, and there was, it was all a great trajectory, things were a lot of fun, there was opportunity around, um, whatever I wanted to tackle, I could, and uh, I didn't really encounter anything that wasn't kind of like what I would think of as age-appropriate death or challenges, you know. People were in their 70s or 80s, or a 104 year old aunt that died. But I never really had to uh, tackle anything that wasn't uh, age appropriate. And so that, in mental health, was never part of my world depression, anxiety, uh, anything along those lines. And so I'm sure that happened around me, but it wasn't, it was either coded or I just ignored it because I didn't understand what was going on or what was being coded, and therefore I I really had no experience or exposure with it.
0: Mm -hmm. When Brian's daughter Sierra was in high school, she lost a very dear friend to suicide. This boy was loved by the whole family, and the loss triggered an avalanche of grief and despair.
1: She had met a boy when she was in uh, very into elementary school, and they became really close, and we became very close with their family. And then when he was in high school, so she was 15, same he was as well, he died by suicide. And that was my first encounter with what I think of as, you know, age inappropriate death. I can still remember that the call his mom called and it was just crushing to hear her voice. I pick up with a normal kind of jovial attitude and the conversation just takes another turn. And I, and I, you know, I can remember that conversation with her and then her husband and he's kind of this lumberjack guy, looking guy, big guy. And, and he is just, I mean, there's, there's nothing there. He's just Mm. tears and unsteady. And, and I, I do remember you know, trying to, I'm navigating something I have no experience with. I'm, I'm used to operating in a group, you know, where I know how the conversations go and can help navigate and have fun with that. And this is something that I've got, I don't know how to deal in sadness Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, that, that grief. And, you know, I remember walking with the dad saying, how can I be helpful? And, and, and he said, I just need you to walk with me. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know how to navigate that with him because I kept expecting the conversation. You know, I'm used to ending a conversation with, oh, that was great or that was fun. And we're not ending those conversations that way. And I wasn't as a as an extrovert, I wasn't comfortable just even with the silence of kind of walking. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was that was a that was an important introduction for me. But it was also something I look back in hindsight, and I know I could have been better for the family, and I know I could have been better for myself in that mm-hmm. process. I didn't know how to be in that space
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, at all, and I I think that you know the 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 story that I tell out of that is that I was um, I was, I was kind of like the Grinch, so that my I operated in a heart space that tended to be fun or supportive or curious, but not in the sad or grief uh, space. And so I kind of had this partition in my heart. His suicide and then the follow-up from that meant that I I had to be in there. And so my heart literally, for me, I could feel it virtually grow. Because I was in a new heart space, Mm -hmm. which I've spoken to the dad since then, many times and commented about how much I think about his son, because his suicide caused me to be a better, more full and uh, open person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It took him on week long canoe trip. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was very happy, and I mean, it was just a joy to be around, and and somebody that was very welcome in our life. Him and his and and his parents. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's so hard to know how to be there for people, and we talked about that in in the last episode on this podcast with Elena. But um, you know, this idea that often what people need is just our presence and our or just willingness to sit with them in their pain,
1: right? Right. Just to know the, because it, God, it feels so alone, mm-hmm. and to know that you're not alone is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of what's going on right now with this coronavirus piece. Yeah. Right. We're all trying to make sure people aren't uh, trying to check ourselves from being alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Suicides tend to have lethal fallout. We might think of suicide, especially in adolescence, as a type of infectious disease of the spirit. Sierra, being closest to this boy, soon spiraled down into her own hopelessness. I'm down
1: in Denver, and my wife, uh, Morrow, is back at home and calls me and says, I'm taking Sierra uh, to the mental health hospital. And what was really... Going on was Sierra basically said i'm I've got suicidal thoughts, and I am and I don't feel safe and so that obviously was a whole new was was even a you know for me that was a very personal introduction into it more so than the than this boy was um because it was my daughter and in that I mean some of the there was one you know you go it was weird went to the hospital and there was there was some relief for Sierra that she was there i think because she felt like i suspect she felt like she was she had the right attention she didn't feel like she was dealing with parents that weren't clued in because she was with professionals and had stated her concerns already and so we get there and she's feeling more upbeat about things than I would have expected for someone who had just got into mental health hospital. And then, and even there was some, a little bit of, um, some parental guilt, like what did, what did I do? And one of the things that happened was she wrote a, an essay for, um, uh, as a background story for her group discussion. And basically she said, I had a great childhood, you know, and she kind of laid out some of the things that were going on in her childhood and, and, And I have to say that there was some parental relief there. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I there's nothing that's coming up in this that's I did something badly wrong, but that didn't solve where
0: she was. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking, I was just thinking. Speaking of solve, you know, you work as an engineer, right? And um, you you know, you you fix things, you design solutions um, for a living. And I wonder, realizing now that. Sierra's in this darkest place and hospitalized and
1: Yeah, in fact that's that's a you know, if you when I think about the medical profession, it's you know, it's all these these systems that you're looking at and whether it's your, you know, your heart or your a broken bone or whatever, there's it's it's fairly mechanical or there's it can be an electrical system or whatever, but it's these systems that are pretty are are fairly well understood. And then you get to mental health. (laughs) And then you realize that as an engineer, I'm a guy that likes to bring in data and then I make decisions based on data. And now we're dealing with best guesses, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what do we think's going on? And and it's hard for her to know what's going on within her. And therefore people have to interpret what she's saying and, and take best guesses based on, you know, what they know of that population and, you know, uh, uh, teenage girls and, and, yeah so this navigating this with the uncertainty within this realm was a very uncomfortable space for me and if, so that space is uncomfortable and and i mean the 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 unknowns are uncomfortable but then the uncertainty is very unempowering mm-hmm. and so i walked from you know from being a parent where you kind of know what's going on. Now I'm in a space that I know nothing about. And and so I feel lost and very unempowered in that space. mm mm-hmm. I'm in the kitchen, and we had just hired an electrician to come in and put in more outlets in the in the house, so that um, the extension, so that she couldn't use an extension cord to hang herself. And then we were gonna, and then we're having to go through my, I'm going through my shop and pulling out all the cords and the the line and the sharp tools. And then we're going through the kitchen and and we're paring everything down, uh, scissors as well, so that we've only got like two knives, so we can track where those things are and and i i just my wife Morrow, asked me she goes what she asked me something and i don't remember exactly what it was but my response was i just want my little girl back Mm -hmm. and i just i don't want to be stripping the house out of anything that she could hurt herself with and so she was at the hospital and i'm doing this and I, i just i was really yeah i was really lost
0: yeah yeah. There you are trying to keep her safe and do everything right and make it right for her, but you're so limited what you can really actually do to change the course of things. Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah.
1: Yeah. And that, and you know, and the, and you're waiting on the medication to take effect, you know, we're going to try this and we're going to try that and, and it's try right. And, and this may take, you know, you may start to see a change within a week, or you may start to see a change within three weeks, or we're going to have to taper off this because it's not, doesn't really seem to be doing it. Or, or, you know, we, let's do more vitamin supplements along with this or, and there's all, all sorts of uh, just this, this trying thing. And, and, and it's all time, but, and it's understandable why it takes time, but Mike, you have, you just want that time, to go by Mm -hmm. because you want to get back to that child. That's wants to hug you. And as opposed to that child that wants to isolate.
0: Yeah.
1: And again, that's where this engineering side of me is, you know, and male, right. (laughs) I'm going to problem solve. Well, this, you don't problem solve when someone's in that space, you're just listening. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it, it was that type of, discussion that was really, or that that kind of presence that was really helpful was somebody that would just listen. So with her, with Sierra, we were very, I was very comfortable in reaching out or talking about it. And it, there was a guy at the gym that I ended up, I'm in the locker room, we're changing, you know, and I I, I speak with him frequently. He knew uh, my daughter and, and he said, how, you know, what's going on? And I just said, you know, th- this is what's going on. And, he, and you could see his energy level go from, oh, you know, we're just chatting and it's energy totally changes. And he said, my d- brother or my brother, yes, yeah, uh, died of suicide. And, and it just took our relationship into a very different space, mm. you know, and he's offering his support. And the more I would open up to others about it, um, the more the support I would get from everyone. I, I can't remember a bad reaction from anyone. And I, and I do have to admit, I think I give, I think my presentation probably gave folks an out to say, I'm really sorry about that. How are you doing? And if I felt that they were uncomfortable, I probably would have just navigated away from it. Mm -hmm. And if I felt like they were allowing that conversation to be open and continue, then I would have walked into it.
0: Yeah. I see a lot of times in my practice that when, say, an adolescent is in deep crisis, that the parents can really struggle to be on the same page. Um, yeah, and you know that that deep horror of of watching your kid spiral down can really pull parents together or can pull them apart. If if they don't figure out a way to be yeah on the same page and working as a team.
1: Yeah, and we definitely had that. So Morrow definitely led the kind of the medical charge with my daughter. One of the things that we've learned in parenting is that I tend to think things are going to be better and Morrow gets more concerned. Mm. So, and, and that tension continues to this day, we're doing a better job of navigating it. But what we learned and the agreement we came to is around medical stuff, we're always, if we differ, we're going to go with her because she's never wrong. It's just more conservative mm-hmm. and therefore, um, it's going to be the safer approach. It may be more expensive, but whatever, mm-hmm. that's just money. So I think we practice this in the same way. Mm-hmm. Just, we would let, we would have that discussion and, and I know I could have been more supportive and more of a co-parent around the medical side with my daughter, but I wasn't, I, and I wasn't as far along as Mara was.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you know, or how did you know when things were okay? Again, another thing I see a lot of the families I work with is parents are wondering, how do we know if our daughter is okay? How do we know if our son is fine? He or she may look like they're doing okay, but I mean, what was that journey for you in trying to come to peace with if, when, Sierra was actually okay?
1: So I think the big... One of the tools that we had was on the fridge. So to avoid this conversation every day or, or every hour of how are you doing? You know, how, where's your anxiety level? Someone made a recommendation to put a scale and if Sierra was, um, she could adjust the scale and she, it was just, it lived on the side of the fridge and she would walk in and take it up or take it down and would notice the change. And so, If, and if it got really high, would go chat with her or my wife would in particular, if it, when it came back down, we were, would kind of back off, but that way she was communicating without having, without us having to prompt her Mm -hmm. uh, with a question. The other piece, and I I don't know if this is the best indicator, but it, it made a lot of sense for my wife and I who are both, um, quite extroverted. Um, and that is if the kid, if the, either child is isolating. That was a big flag for us. Mm. And so that's, that's the piece we used was, uh, are they isolating and where are things on the scale? The other, the other piece in this is that when Sierra was, you know, there's no, suddenly there's no pressure, right? we there's no, there's no expectations. We're just happy she's alive. And so school, would basically just pull her out of school. We tried to set up an individual education plan with her an IEP, but she's in. She can't. She's having trouble retaining things that she reads. You know, it's, it's kind of like a brain injury in that, and and she can't remember. She doesn't. She can't focus. She's having trouble actually reading. Um, we just kind of stepped back from that semester as far as our own expectations, and then that made us continue to step back to say, what are our other expectations that are creating undue pressure? And so it really made us adjust what, you know, you think, well, I I just want our kids to be happy, but that path to happiness comes with our own internal painting, um, that we are projecting out there for our kids to follow toward. And so this, this event with her made us kind of try to erase that whole picture of expectations. When she was starting to get better, she was beginning to engage with others Mm -hmm. and wanting to engage or do more things or be out or be social with us even. And the challenge then became, are there things, because college is coming up, do we push again or not? And, and how do we, we think she can perform at this level and and she'll be a lot better performing in a challenged environment but is that too much for her and we just we didn't know and so um we just had to step back and let her and try to present options and let her choose the things that made sense for her in the space she was in as opposed to the space that we thought that she should be in mm-hmm. yeah Sierra is much more introverted than, uh, Marl and I are. And we're dropping her off at college and she, she's coming down the stairs and there's this boy bringing stuff up. And she says, she asks him his name and she makes, and, and he gives her a name and then she asks him something else. And he says, Oh, where, you know, what room are you in or what hall are you in or whatever? And and then we, I'm behind her and I fall, walk on down and I get outside and I said, wow, that was really great. And she goes, I've just decided I'm just going to say yes. If I think I should do something, I'm saying yes. If I, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, she is, not only is she back, but she is now grabbing life and trying to move it and make it and, and embrace it.
0: We humans have an astounding capacity to endure, to stay strong as long as we absolutely have to. I've been a competitive runner for 40 years, and I'm still fairly dumbfounded about how I can be running hard and strong for 13 miles, say, reach the finish line, and then I end up laying on the pavement, sometimes face down, sometimes face up, until I can eventually stagger back up to standing minutes later. In an analogous way, We all have the potential to stay emotionally and mentally strong as long as it's absolutely necessary until there is some kind of finish line, some space to fall apart. Maro being a completely devoted mother who also had a history of depression, made it to her finish line, successfully launching Sierra off to college. And then she fell down into her own abyss. Very
1: shortly thereafter, and I'm going to use this analogy pointedly, um, but she falls down into a well of her own depression and anxiety and falls deep and hard. And so now Sierra's off at college, and we want her to be focused there. So we're not talking with her about where Morrow is. We're also not talking with our son about where his mom is, because we want to try to keep his life in a normal space. And in reality, I think we were also keeping it from our extended family and, and our friends, which is, you know, for me, sad to say at this point, you know, it was the first time I had to ask that question of this question of, are you thinking about suicide? Do you have a plan? You know, and I asked that multiple times of her over the next number of weeks and she reassured me multiple times and I was confident of her answer. She said because of what had gone on with this boy uh, when my daughter was 15, she said I will not kill myself. I know what that would do to my kids mm-hmm. and I cannot do that to my kids and I know that tr- is true.
0: Mm-hmm. So But this puts you in a really hard position because you know, as you learned from that awful um, first suicide and, and trying to be with his family and then Sierra's journey and opening up to some people through that, I mean, you must have known, at least on an unconscious if not conscious level, that that we need each other, that you and Maro needed friends and family. And while it makes sense to you know, keep it on the DL to try to protect your kids... But I'm wondering what that was like for you now to either overtly or covertly decide um, we're going to keep this quiet and the two of us are just going to try to figure this out.
1: We're definitely reaching out for medical help. Um, I mean, she had a doctor, of psychiatrist she was going to, um, and and the answer to your question is, Yes, we should have been reaching out. We, her mom came and stayed with us for a while. For for all of our friends, in hindsight, they all have said, I wish we knew. I wish I knew. And the thing was, we were all busy because we've got our kids running around at that point doing high school things. And so everybody's busy. And Morrow could put it together long enough to go to a, a function for an hour or two and then come home and be exhausted for days on end. Mm-hmm. And so for our friends we didn't give them the opportunity to be as helpful as all of them wanted to be. I think the reality is while I'm a I'm a quite energetic person and optimistic the one of the downsides of that is not is not dealing with things that probably need to be dealt with. Because there's no known course of, you know, like in a more physical world, if I do this, you know, X leads to Y. In this case, the next step may be the right step and it may not. And so I could just live under that um, approach of it's all going to work out. And, and it may work out with no intervention or it may work out with extreme intervention. And I don't, I don't know. So I could, I could be comfortable enough in being engaged, but not as engaged as I could be. Mm -hmm. So I think it's less about being overwhelmed and more about being uncomfortable in a space and being optimistic that it's going to work out with with a lack of uh, engagement, mm-hmm. or not the level of engagement that I could have. Yeah. I had to start saying that is, this sickness is not you, you. And so I had to start really kind of trying to stand up more to say, I'm not, you know, that's not true. I'm not listening to that because this is why I don't believe it. This is where we need to take the next step. I'm looking at her now, you know, starting to, things are starting to see glimpses of daylight every now and then. And that's when we ask for you know, that's when we invite people in. Mm. We should have been inviting people in when she's falling.
0: Yeah, but also you're just you're just trying to hold it together then. I guess you're just trying to take care of your son and go to work and just
1: And and I think the other piece in this is and I hadn't thought about this until we're talking right now, but you know, I mentioned how you how with Sierra I had to let go of her expectations. This also meant I had to let go of my own. And that may have been a hurdle that I am not really recognizing even until right now, which is my own trajectory, whether that's, you know, what trip we had planned as a family or retirement or even just putting my career on hold or I I just continued to have those expectations out there and this was just something we had to work through to get back on track with those expectations. And I, and so I think adjusting my expectations or stepping away from them and saying, well, we'll see where we go back, how we get back on or what we get back onto afterward is probably something that I needed to, a perspective that I needed to have, um, at that point mm-hmm. because I kept things going pretty typically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah you know, when, we go through really hard things with our family, ourselves, Right there's this death of expectations and a readjustment and a kind of bargaining with ourselves in the future and trying to figure out, okay, now what, you know, so often I think we come to realize that, wow, things are totally uncertain. Yeah. Um, you, know, you grew up again in a, in a really happy, loving, getting better kind of place. And, then you're realizing actually nothing is certain right
1: yeah and that this 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 certain thing or the expectations really came up with Sierra where I was able to go to my uh, work and talk to my supervisor and his supervisor and say look this is what's happening and um, and we may have to you know I may have to it may affect my work. It may affect my focus. It may affect even where we live. We may be moving back to the Western slope, you know, and their reaction was, what do you need from us? It was all very supportive. Um, and, you know, and that's one of those pieces of work where you, where the personal really, the two are very linked as much as we try to think that they're separate and and it really inserted itself into the business side. And, and it made for better relationships because this was that event at, with my daughter happened, um, 10 years ago. And it still has positive repercussions. That conversation that I had have still has positive repercussions, I think with those two in particular. Um, but here I, I did that with my daughter and I was less comfortable doing that with my wife I'm having a serious challenge now at work and I don't circle back around with my wife saying that. And part of that is because just, I think that there's just that there's some uh, stigma around it that even as aware and open as we were in a number of things, we, I I, I certainly know that I still struggle against some of that stigma and, and then, and, and, Anyway, and that influenced what I did or didn't do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, where are you today? I'm wondering, you know, based on what you've been through and having to adjust expectations and thinking you might lose your daughter or your wife, or and you already lost a dear young man who was very close to your family. And so, where are you now with trying to reckon with all that and how you move forward and knowing that such pain as possible. And that such, um, such tragedy is potentially around the corner. I think, you know, you, you were able to be in a nice delusion for a long time. that was, Everything was just getting better.
1: I, and there, there are some things that haven't changed a whole lot for me. One of them is, one of the changes that has happened is I've got a much, I've got a much more diverse tool bag that I can draw from, from my own experience that we're talking about here. So if, if there, if we have a, uh, whatever that mental health episode is, I've, I, I will be much faster to respond much more aggressive, aggressive in that response. While I could probably be more prepared. I feel like I now know that I just need to, you know, essentially call nine one one immediately. As I'm seeing the accident happen. And that call is not just a 911, but it's also the whole support group around you. So knowing that I'm much better prepared means that I can't, and this may be back to my mindset, I can't fret about it. I can't lose sleep over it. All I can do is say, all right, if it comes around again, I'm I'm in a much better position and I know to get on it and then we'll see what comes of it. But I can't, I can't stress about that or all those other things that, you know, can be challenges and you just, I'll just have to deal with those if they come up. Um, and while they're, and, and there's a chance that they certainly will, but I, I can't lose sleep on it. And I have to say, I'm relishing, you know, the, the space my daughter's in, uh, and my wife's in my wife and my daughter, because of what they've gone through and what I've gone through with them. And I think certainly my son as well We've it's put us into a better dynamic, um, because I can be in places that I wasn't comfortable 10 years ago. Um, I can, so I can do a much better job of listening. And one time I came home and she said, um, Kids are at the kitchen table. I don't know what's happened, but I walk in the house and I'm just like, hey, I'm home. Blah, You know, (laughs) there's just energy levels go way up. And I'm just like, hey, tell me about your day. I want to hear all about it. Big hugs, you know. And what I didn't know is that something there was some bummer at school. And so Tegan or Sierra, I don't remember who was upset. And then I walk in and the kids just flip. You know, they're just like, oh, dad's home. You got to turn it way up in energy Mm -hmm. level and just, and Morrow said, you know, you need to think about walking in and maybe being more sensitive to where things are and engaging with where they are, as opposed to just the fact that you want them to be in one space. Mm -hmm. And so, and so in all of these events that we're talking about, that's helped me maybe step down from this automatic assumption that I'm just going to bring the energy levels up and everything's going to be great and be a little more receptive to where things are. So that's, that's one piece that actually has been really helpful because now it means that I hear more about what's going on with the kids as opposed to the kids editing for what I want to hear. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Another piece that my wife gave me, and this is after, um, this boy died of suicide and she said, you know, there's hard things and sad things out there for everyone. You may want to, you can either step around it or you can step, um, to it. Mm-hmm. And so her phrase was steer into it. It's there and you want a relationship with this person and it's a hard thing. So steer into that, that sadness or that space that they're in. And you'll find that you you've got a much better relationship. And boy, was that on target. Mm-hmm. And I use that phrase for myself frequently, mm-hmm. you know, steer into it because I know how to, I know how to step around it. The relationship will continue, but we're not going to deal with that, that thing. Now I steer into it. I, and the relationship continues and it's deeper. Mm-hmm. Because of this, because I'm, I, I also used to be a, a commercial raft guide. I got invited to do some grief therapy um, wilderness trips. So we go do these three day grief therapy trips, and um, and the first one I went to was three years ago. And normally, I used when I was a commercial raft guide, it was in my early 20s, and I continued to boat since then. But so when I, when we pull people together you know, in my twenties and commercial guiding, we, everybody walks up to the boat and I'm like, Hey, my name's Brian. Blah, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I've been, I'm really excited. What's your name? And they're like, Oh, you know, blah. and the next person it's all these up energy levels. Right. Mm. And then now I do this grief therapy trip and we're standing around a circle and the, the lead, the head guide who's run the thing says, this is who I am, you know, and Uh, My wife died four years ago of cancer and then talks about that. And then they've moved to the next person and, and her son had died six months prior in a motorcycle accident. And now everybody starts crying and the next person speaks and everybody starts crying and, you know, and I'm like, Oh, this is so different. Mm -hmm. The trip, that trip, the next year, the next year, this year we, I did two or three or two this year. And it is, they are so rich, you know, that you can walk into a raft trip and just have a lot of fun, or you can walk into a raft trip like this and walk out and feel like you just, everybody was opening their heart Mm -hmm. and feel so much more connected. Mm -hmm. And you can also have laughter on the trip and tears and talk about the stars or, whatever you know Mm -hmm. and and so yeah to your point opening that that space up just makes things so much richer
0: yeah right we get close to each other by making ourselves vulnerable yeah and yeah i could see where to start a raft trip with that instead of this -ah, we're gonna go (laughs) crush the rapids like no we're gonna share something hard right wow right yeah We are all here in this life to learn, to grow, to find and to make meaning. I love so many parts of Brian's story. How his heart space grew after the loss of a young man to suicide. How he learned to put his own wishes and plans and expectations on hold to meet the reality of what his daughter and wife needed. How his life traumas actually brought him even more into the present moment with a deeper sense of gratitude and connection. I think there's so much for me, for us, to learn from this story, which is probably not so dissimilar from the hidden stories of your coworkers, former classmates, neighbors, and even friends. We're all in this together, or at least I really, really hope we can be. I think that's the only way we're going to make it.